What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to talk about some of your favorite Dolphins memorabilia. We'll answer your questions via the Twitter mailbag, and we'll talk about versatility both on the field and on the sidelines. All of that and more on this Thursday, March the 5th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I wrote an article that's currently up on MiamiDolphins.com, and in it, I discuss the versatility of the Dolphins coaching staff. And we'll come back to that here in just a moment. But I want to start with the aspect of the versatility that Brian Flores and the coaches really throughout the league are talking about right now. The more a player can do versatility, the buzzword of the entire week of the combine. We talked about this on yesterday's podcast with Jordan Reed, Christian Wilkins, Devon Godshaw, John Jenkins, a lot of those big defensive linemen who have the makeup and look of a classic defensive tackle playing out wide at the defensive end position. And I don't have any data on those specific lineups and snap counts at those spots. We'll get to the defensive backs and linebackers here from Pro Football Focus in just one second. But you essentially have these three guys playing in the Dolphins' odd front packages across the D-line. And that will often require one of them to kick all the way out to a base five technique or a four-eye technique. And that's not something trackable through PFF or any other outlet that I'm privy to. But you can track the defensive backs. So I went to Pro Football Focus and took a look at where these guys lined up on a snap-by-snap basis throughout the course of the season, and they track defensive line snaps, box snaps, slot cornerback, perimeter corner, and deep safety, the free safety position. And you've got several guys in here that played all over the defense in that regard for the Dolphins. Rashad Jones up first, played 49 snaps up on the defensive line. That essentially means he's on the ball. The box count for him was 78, and that means more of an off-ball linebacker position playing where you might see Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan, those types of guys. 33 snaps in the slot, 12 out wide as a corner, and 17 as the deep safety. Montre Hardage played limited snaps last year, came up off the practice squad, but he played five snaps on the defensive line, 22 in the box, nine in the slot, three out wide, and 59 as your Dolphins deep safety. Nick Needham had a lot of range and versatility as well, playing five on the line, 46 in the box, 157 in the slot, and then of course his most prominent position, the wide corner, 531 snaps last season. He also played four as a deep safety. Eric Rowe is the primary example of this, and we heard Chris Greer bring it up on the Move the Sticks podcast, talking about the versatility and how it gives you more roster flexibility if you have a guy like Eric Rowe who can play in multiple spots because then you don't have to activate X number of defensive backs and maybe you can put an extra body in the lineup for game day on the offensive line or wherever you see fit. So Eric Rowe played 60 snaps on the defensive line, played 446 in the box as that quasi-linebacker C-gap run defender type 226 snaps in the slot as a corner he also played 254 as the perimeter corner and then 86 way back off the ball as a deep safety some other guys that played a little more defined roles Bobby McCain had four snaps on the line 50 in the box, 20 in the slot, 10 out wide, and 446 as the free safety. Up until his injury, he was the team's free safety in the single high press man looks they run. 
Steven Parker got some run at that same position. Three snaps on the line, 56 in the box, 15 on the slot, six out wide, and 259 as the deep free safety. And then Adrian Colbert factored in in the second half of the season as well. 117-71, and then 335 as your deep safety. And these stats are also trackable at linebacker. And I was already planning on talking about this before I went to Pro Football Focus and looked up the numbers, but I think Raekwon McMillan, third-year Dolphins linebacker last year, heading into his fourth season this year, is a great example of that. Raekwon was really good that first year coming off the ACL from 2017, especially as the season went along in 2018. But he was always a stack linebacker. And what that means, you're playing off the ball, probably behind somebody on the defensive line and kind of picking and choosing your gaps that way. At Ohio State into his first year in 2018, he was off the ball every snap seemingly. He played just two snaps up on the ball, which is fine. That's who he was. That's what he did well. But you know what complacency breeds? It breeds stagnant trajectory and keeps the player on a plateau and doesn't give them the opportunity to grow their game and just get even better. And that's not to say that Raekwon wasn't great in that role. He was. He was one of Pro Football Focus's top run defending linebackers all year in 2018. But you know what a great role for a good run defending linebacker is and one that can get him on the field for even more work? playing on the ball as a Sam backer in the even fronts, four down linemen. And Raekwon got some seasoning in that regard. His total jumps from two snaps on the ball in 2018 all the way up to 93 last year. And that was out of 687 total snaps played, an increase from 0.002% on ball all the way up to 13.5%. So basically from nothing all the way to 13.5%. It's about recognizing a player's strengths and creating roles for that player. We played you that sound clip from Ashton Davis the other day, the Cal safety, talking about Gerald Alexander, who now, of course, takes over the defensive back room this year on Flo's staff. And Ashton Davis talked about a coach not being stuck in his ways or stuck in his schemes and always trying to find a way to get better Every single day is an opportunity for the player, for the coach, for everybody in football to get better, and that's the approach here. It might sound obvious, but there can still be some pretty rigid thinking out there, but Gerald Alexander fits that mode, fits that role. And again, we'll talk more here in just one second about the versatility of this Dolphins coaching staff. But I want to go ahead and get to the rest of the housekeeping here as far as the on-ball and off-ball snap counts of the Dolphins linebackers. Again, this data available through Pro Football Focus. Jerome Baker played 148 snaps on the ball, 870 off the ball, and there's even some slot, some perimeter corner, and safety distinctions in there. 33, 11, and 18. The guy just plays everywhere wearing that green dot calling the Dolphins defense on the back of his helmet. Very important player in the Dolphins defense. Vince Beagle who arrived with the team on September 1st and just hit the ground running, producing immediately for Miami. 576 snaps on the ball compared to 45 snaps off the ball. So he's one of your more true edge players on the defense last year. Sam Aguavin, 278 snaps on, 324 off. And Andrew Van Ginkle was almost primarily on the ball, 194 to three snaps off the ball. And so if you ask your players to be multiple, why not ask your coaches the exact same thing? And just real quick before I dive into the article up on MiamiDolphins.com, there was a quote on the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks a couple weeks back where they talked about that being one of these new age adaptations of the NFL, but not every team has caught on. 
but the Dolphins have four of the nine new coaching hires have experience on both sides of the ball or whether it's coordinating the offense and having analytics in your background or scouting background. They're finding these guys that have been all over the football operations in the National Football League, in college football, and frankly... The guys that don't have that multi-side-of-the-ball experience are guys that are new in their coaching career, like, for instance, Lemieux Jean-Pierre, who's been coaching now in his third season, heading down to Miami as the assistant offensive line coach. So we start here in the article up on MiamiDolphins.com with Brian Flores himself, the ultimate jack-of-all-trades. You go over his resume with the Patriots and now with the Dolphins. Scouting assistant, pro scout, special teams assistant, offensive assistant, defensive assistant, safeties coach, linebackers coach, and then defensive play caller in the Super Bowl, limiting the Los Angeles Rams to three points, the number one def- number one offense rather that season in the Super Bowl to just one field goal. Those eight positions served as a prelude to Flores taking over the big chair here in Miami. And his staff welcomes plenty of new faces here in year number two. Of the seven coaches departed from Flores' rookie season, four of those guys received promotions throughout professional and college football. You know about Carl Durrell, the former receivers coach and assistant head coach, accepting a head coaching job at the University of Colorado. Jerry Shaplinski goes from assistant quarterbacks coach to full-time quarterbacks coach with the Giants. Former offensive quality control coach Tyquan Underwood, who used to play in the league, is now the wide receivers coach at Rutgers. So already in year number one, Brian Flores' coaching tree is beginning to root itself and provide some fruit off the other end for some college programs and some other organizations across the NFL. But to get back into the first coach on this entire import of new coaches that have versatility, we start with the OG of versatility in Chan Gailey. This was a quote from Brian Flores at the Combine. Quote, having coached against him, Gailey, in the past, he was always tough to deal with schematically, end quote. And Gailey's versatility really has that diverse nature about it, both in the titles he held and the systems he implemented as a coach, both in college and the NFL. He, of course, was the first coach to really transport a true spread offense from college to the pros with the Kansas City Chiefs and Tyler Thigpen way back in 2008. He also coached on offense, on defense. He's been a head coach five different times. Defensive coordinator Josh Boyer was here last year, but his promotion will elevate him to a level of constant collaboration with Flores in the defensive backfield and on the defensive side of the football in general. His specialty, of course, was working that position group, safeties and corners and DBs with Brian Flores up in New England. His titles have ranged from defensive assistant, defensive backs coach, cornerbacks coach, passing game coordinator, and now defensive coordinator shows his penchant to climb up the ranks in the NFL as a coach. New linebackers coach Anthony Campanelli chose this position to come here and coach in Miami, despite being rumored and being connected to several defensive coordinator jobs at multiple Power 5 schools. That was a report that came from Yahoo's Pete Thamel, and that could have been Campanelli's first ever solo coordinator job beyond the high school ranks, where he was an offensive and defensive coordinator at Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey. He's also been a defensive assistant, coached wide receiver, receivers and tight ends, defensive backs, linebackers, and he was a co-defensive coordinator at Boston College in 2018. New quarterbacks coach Robbie Brown returns to the NFL after a brief stint at West Virginia. There, Brown worked closely with the head coach on analysis and had direct oversight of the Mountaineers' offensive game plans 
Whereas prior to that, he was with the Jets and Chan Gailey on the offensive side of the ball. His title was offensive quality control, but he spent two seasons there as a defensive assistant. He worked with wide receivers, outside linebackers, and was involved in in-game management responsibilities on game day. He also coached quarterbacks and running backs at the collegiate level. So more versatility for him there. New assistant defensive backs coach, Coach Kirk Kuntz, made the jump from Struthers High School in Ohio to the NFL. It'll be his first job in the NFL. And here's what Brian Flores said in reference to Kuntz making the jump to the NFL. Quote, there are good coaches in Pop Warner, high school, college, NFL level. I think there's this idea that because it's a high school coach, he's not ready to coach in the NFL. I just don't agree with that. I think good teachers are good teachers are good teachers. End quote. And rounding out the new coaching hires, Gerald Alexander, Austin Clark, and Lemuel Jean-Pierre, guys we talked about earlier in the podcast, they don't have that diverse background. But again, they're very early in their coaching careers. And the reputations these guys have already earned early on in their coaching careers really speak positively about their ability to grow and take the next steps in their coaching careers. Again, from Ashton Davis, who called Gerald Alexander the best coach he's ever had, very driven to be the best that he can be. He was taking trips in the offseason to visit NFL teams and get nuggets from anybody he can. So he speaks very highly of Coach Gerald Alexander. Austin Clark, who worked at Illinois last season, took a five-star transfer from USC in Olawali Bed. Jr., who was struggling at USC early in his career and then goes to Illinois and really turned it on, became a sack master, and he really praised Clark's ability to teach and explain his expectations for his players. Bedeku says that Clark would pause the film reviews and explain why a play was designed a specific way and how Bedeku's contributions fit within the scheme. And finally, new offensive line assistant Lemuel Jean-Pierre trades in his cleats for a whistle a couple years back. He was a player with the Seahawks and Lions, most recently coached the Raiders and the Seahawks before that. And in that stop in Oakland, he was praised by undrafted rookie free agent Andre James, who was thrust into the lineup for all-pro center Rodney Hudson, who suffered an injury in a game in 2018. And James played well in that game, earning the praise of both John Gruden and Lemuel Jean-Pierre. And James credited Jean-Pierre with, quote, thousands and thousands of practice reps working on the footwork and body weight to block interior rushers, end quote. So this coaching staff, versatility and teaching, that's the idea, that's the thought, and that's what Brian Flores went out and got this offseason. Okay, I want to go ahead and pivot now to some more fan interaction on Twitter. Of course, you guys can find me there at Wingfield NFL, the Miami Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. And I put out a mailbag segment on the timeline today, and we'll get to that here in just one second. But I also put up a request for your best or most treasured Dolphins memorabilia. And I said I was going to call out one person that got the most likes on Twitter for their memorabilia. But there really are two that stand out above the rest in terms of how many people clicked the heart and favorited those particular tweets. And we start here with what looks like a arcade gaming console that has the Dolphin logo across it. It looks absolutely gorgeous. It's from Reparic, at Reparic on Twitter. Go check it out. It looks awesome. I'm sure a lot of us old school gamer fans out there would love to get our hands on something like that. And then the other one that got a lot of love is from Big Mike, at MIA Fins 1. It's a 1972 helmet signed by 18 of the players on that perfect team. It's pretty cool. In fact, I would almost go as far to say, All right, Miami! Yeah, the Mad Dog definitely has to weigh in on that one. 
And let's go ahead and stay in that same lane here and continue to interact with the fans on Twitter and fans here of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Also go ahead and check out the Audible and the Fish Tank Podcast, rounding out our three shows here on the new updated Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. So excited to jump in this season, get more access, and get even more content for you guys than before. And we start here with this question from A-Rod the Fin Fan at the Great Finsby. Travis, first off, congrats on joining the Dolphins. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you very much. Second, now that you're much closer in the news buzz about the Finns, what's your best assumption about these smokescreens, Tua, Herbert, or anyone else? Well, I can't speak to the player specifically, but I'll tell you this. The Dolphins are going to tell you what's going on. Chris Greer and Brian Flores, they talk pretty openly in their press conferences, and they're going to tell you what they're thinking, what they're doing, and they're very transparent in that way. So when Brian Flores and Chris Greer both say, we haven't met with quarterback X or quarterback Y yet, they're being honest about it. It does nobody any good to go out and tell your plans and your information and to play your hand on the process early. So that's what they're going to do. Everything stays in house and that's the way it should be. So my best advice there, if you want to get the truth, listen to what Flo says and listen to what Chris Greer says. Next one here from Will at underscore Will Reeves underscore. What linebackers outside of Simmons do you think are a good fit for Miami in the draft? Well, we talked about versatility, right? So players that can do multiple things. We talked to Jim Nagy down at the Combine, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, and he talked about Josh Uche's ability to play off the ball, to come down and rush the quarterback, play in coverage. Jordan Reed said the same thing on yesterday's podcast as well that he offers that versatility. Zach Bond from Wisconsin, another one of those guys. A really refined pass rusher with heavy hands that can get his hand placement initially and then swipe and double arm rip and club and chop and do all the things you have to do to get off contact in the NFL. But I think both those guys have been mentioned by some of our draft experts here on this podcast, like Jordan Reed, for instance. So we'll go with those two. Next one here from Stephen F. At SPF underscore Rip. Greer has a history of going best player available. Do you think there's a chance he keeps that approach? Yeah, absolutely. I think they want to get the best player. Brian Flores and Chris Greer both talked about doing whatever they can to add the best players that make the Miami Dolphins a better football team, whether it's trades, whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft. They want to make the best selection, the best choice for this team to get better in that instance on that day. And that's how they'll approach this thing going forward. Next one here from Raji Raj at Raji Raj on Twitter. How many retakes have you had to do while recording due to mentioning the wrong podcast name? Well, for the sake of full transparency, I haven't messed up the podcast name yet, but where I do kind of stumble is after the introduction where I would talk about subscribe, rate, and review, and where I'm from, and who I am, and how you should listen to me. And so after that intro, I would say, but first, before any of that, there have been several instances where I said that on this podcast and had to go back and correct it. So not too bad so far. It's been a good transition. Next one here from Ryan Hoving at Dolphin underscore Spartan. If we agree the Fins will take either Tua, Herbert, or Love with the fifth pick, would you trade the 18th and 26th picks to get back into the top 10 and take someone like Simmons or Becton? And I hate to sound like a broken record here, but the truth is any presumptive measures we make probably will take us down a path that just is pure speculation. If we don't have any concrete evidence or concrete proof that comes from the mouths of Chris Greer and Brian Flores, then we just don't know. But as far as being flexible, that's part of the idea of gathering as many picks as you can. It allows you to control the draft and put yourself in a position where if you decide that player provides us a way bigger value buy at that spot compared to this player who's available later on, then you can pull the trigger and go up there and trade the draft picks accordingly, or you can go back and restock draft picks next year 
by trading back down the board. So to answer your question about Simmons and Becton, both those guys are really, really good players. Isaiah Simmons is really unlike any player I think that's in this year's draft class or plenty of draft classes before this. Makai Becton, just that rare size and athletic combination you just don't see on an offensive lineman. So both those guys are really, really good football players. This one from Mike Conso at Conso2105. What is the biggest transition you've had to make going from locked on Dolphins to drive time? I'd probably say just being more receptive to having people help me because with Locked On Dolphins, that was a one-man band operation. Every single thing that went into that outside of the network and the platform was all me, but now I have this world-class audio team and world-class video team and graphics team and all the folks at MiamiDolphins.com that put the articles together and tweet it out and run the social accounts. It's, it's really, really awesome to see how far we can grow this thing and how much better it can be with all those people working with me. But I have to kind of take my hands off a little bit and say, here, go ahead and you guys do the excellent job that you do opposed to in the past where it was just me putting the entire thing together on my own. Next question from Dolphins Argentina at FinsUpARG for Argentina. Building the offense front to back or back to front? I know it's fluid, but I was wondering where the emphasis will be this offseason for Miami. By the way, congrats on the new project. Well, thank you again for that. Really appreciate it. As far as the Dolphins' mode of building this thing... I don't think they're going to pigeonhole themselves into any one particular direction or mode of thinking. The entire thought process behind it is going to be capitalizing on market opportunities and just really seizing those opportunities when the market presents itself as advantageous for you, like it did with the Laramie Tunzel and Minka Fitzpatrick trades. Those costs for those trades for the Steelers and for the Texans were very, very costly. And now you go back to the Laramie Tunzel trade, the Dolphins get an extra two first round picks and a second round pick in a year where there are projected six, seven, maybe even eight offensive tackles that can come off the board in the top 40. So that's the approach every single step of the way, every single day, every single facet of the organization. Does the move provide you with more value in your pocket than what goes out of your pocket? And if you stack up enough of those types of moves over and over again, over the course of a long period of time, then eventually you're going to get yourself in a position where the system just never bogs down and you get that sustained success that Stephen Ross wants and has preached here in South Florida going forward into the future. Next question here from Adrian Bello at a Bello 1257 on Twitter. You put four questions up. I'll get to one of them for you. We'll go ahead and take this one. How does it feel to have earned a position with the Miami Dolphins? Well, I'll be honest with you, Adrian. It was my absolute dream job from the time I was 16 years old. This is what I wanted to do. Wasn't really into the podcasting realm back then because when I was 16, podcasts were not a thing, but I always listened to the local radio shows or national syndicated shows. And so being on radio was always something I found very, very intriguing. And then also writing, that's my kind of my my background initially began with writing and my bread and butter. So to see my name up on MiamiDolphins.com or on the Facebook socials or the Twitter socials, it, it really just is a dream come true. And I'll never have to work a day in this job because I love what I do so very much. So it just, it's incredible. It really, really is. Next one here from Leighton Stoffer at Stoffer underscore Leighton on Twitter. First of all, congrats on the gig. Thank you. And what was the best part of your experience at the Combine? I would just say being around so many football people because that always has been and always will be the number one thing that I care to talk about in social settings is football and this Miami Dolphins team. So just being around guys like Jim Nagy and Bucky Brooks and just being at the event that basically is the mecca of the NFL universe for the entire week, it's it's like a kid in a candy store. That's the best way that I can describe that. Next one here from Burrito at Burrito NFL. 
What are a couple of your newfound favorite parts of covering the Finns going from being outside the team versus being inside the team? Well, the best part about being at the Combine was getting to talk to Coach and Chris Greer up close and ask them questions and kind of develop that relationship off the top. But also, I think in the future, being there for practice every day and having a better understanding of the day-to-day operation and being more plugged in, having players come on the podcast, having people around the building that work here for the Miami Dolphins on the podcast, just being fully inundated with the team and the organization. You can't ask for much more than that. Okay, next one here, and we'll make this the last one from Pat at Patty Perk. Who have some standout traits that will be available on day three that the staff can coach into regular contributors? Well, first, far be it for me to project who's going to be available on day three because every single year, the draft does not go as people expect it to. So I'm just going to go ahead and go to the draftnetwork.com and look at their ratings as far as players outside their top 100. So we'll use that as a baseline. And their number 103 rated player on the draft network is Fresno State's Natain Moody, who really has some fun tape when you plug him on. He can blow people up and has the functional awareness to really be in the right positions in pass protection. The only reason he's down this low is because he had injuries throughout his career, but I think that his upside value definitely presents itself there on day three if that's where he goes. And there are, of course, plenty more, but I don't want to get too speculative about who it could be because these guys could go anywhere in the draft. We won't know until the end of April when the draft kicks off April 23rd live from Las Vegas. Okay, I think that's a great spot to go ahead and call it an episode. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the Fins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Audible and the Fish Tank and MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, Fins up.